It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Welcome back to a special edition of Miked Up on OM Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Low Country listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, it's uh, Tuesday, March 31st, and I'm going to give you a time check. The time of this recording, it's 5.45 a.m. I'm giving you that time check because news may have shifted by the time you hear this broadcast, so just keep that in mind. I'm excited about today's episode because this update will include my interview with Post and Courier reporter Mary Catherine Wildeman, and uh, she's a health and tech reporter with the Post and Courier's business team, so please stay tuned for that. But first, here's some news that broke overnight. Brendan, life is anything but normal here in downtown Charleston. First, businesses were closed, then gatherings were banned, and now there's no leaving the house at all. And tonight, city leaders met to discuss how to maintain some order during this public health crisis. City officials say they responded to more than a dozen calls this weekend to disperse gatherings of three or more people or break up people who are not practicing proper social distancing. Other topics were discussed as well, like changes to trash pickup. So we're, we're trying to put something in place so that everybody gets picked up, even though it might be delayed. Shannon Scaff, the director of emergency management for the city of Charleston, presented at the meeting and caught up with me afterwards about the city's efforts. It's about staying engaged with um, with our partners at the county. It's about making sure that we're communicating just within the city staff, uh, you know, leveraging um, the police department, the fire department, um, and other department heads. Part of this communication, Scaff told me, is with local area hospitals like Roper St. Francis. Doctors from the hospital tell me they are taking their own measures to try and better understand the virus and how fast it is spreading. A lot of folks on the inpatient side are really looking at, at those numbers and, and trying to predict when we might see um, a point when you know, the, the number of patients would, would possibly um, outstrip our resources. And knowing that, we can actually conserve and allocate our resources appropriately. Shout out to Hannah Powers from WCBD News 2 for that clip and that coverage. You know, um, the disruption caused by the COVID-19 crisis has been something we're all trying to just just acclimate to. And I don't really think we'll, we'll ever really adjust to this uh, lack of mobility and just our daily lives being upended the way it has been. Um, but it was helpful to hear how our local leadership in Charleston is working together around the clock to help us get through these tough times. Uh, take a listen to this next clip. Um, it's going to feature the voice of Marlon Kempson because the disruption that we're feeling personally, it, it doesn't stop with us, right? It extends to how we're going to participate in um, upcoming elections. So take a listen to this clip. A South Carolina senator is urging the state election commission to develop a statewide vote by mail system in time for June's primaries and the November election. Jacob Reynolds has that story. This month, Senator Marlon Kimson out of Charleston wrote a letter urging the state to create a backup plan for voting. In the letter, Kimson urges the election commission to develop a vote by mail plan for the entire state due to the threat of coronavirus. The senator says he hopes the plan is not used but needs to be prepared now. I imagine that we would have to have a decision uh, from the governor's office uh, either to direct the South Carolina General Assembly or he himself uh, issue a declaration allowing the state election commission to uh, uh, conform its policies to the environment we're living in. 
The Election Commission says they've presented options to the governor and other elected officials on widening absentee voting criteria, creating early voting, or having the entire state vote by mail. Shout out to Jacob Reynolds from WLTX, uh, the CBS affiliate based in Columbia, South Carolina. Thank you for that bit of reporting. Um, It's reassuring to hear local lawmakers working with their peers, uh, working with uh, members on both sides of the aisle to come up with solutions uh, to help folks participate in upcoming elections. The June primary is a big one for the state. So um, I'm happy to hear folks are coming up with solutions and and, uh, I'm going to keep you all posted on developing because if you know me, you know that this is something that electoral access and, and making sure that folks have, you know, free and fair elections is very important to me. And even though we have this unprecedented health crisis going on around us, um, we can come up with solutions to help folks uh, make voting more accessible. And this might actually carry over to practices after we get through COVID-19. So that's also like a silver lining, if you will. Uh, I want to continue not to to necessarily um, be so glum, but I do want to continue with uh, outlining the disruption. Right. So we just we just went through clips that showed you disruption from covid-19 and the way we do our, you know, go about our daily lives, disruption in terms of uh, our civic engagement. Well, businesses, as I've reported earlier, Businesses are also reeling. And check out this story that I found from Yahoo Finance. It features a local name that you all, most of you all, are familiar with. The best way to go was to, uh, to, to go ahead and shut down all operations. We were worried about safety. We were also worried about the, the financial viability of continuing to try to operate the way we operate. And uh, I think we all knew at that point that um, things were just going to get worse and that we would probably be in a spot where we weren't allowed to operate on in, in any capacity. But we went through with that plan and shut down all operations. I don't want to say it was easy, but I think it was pretty pretty much our only decision that we felt that like we could make. So, you know, those decisions tend to be a little bit easier when you feel like you have to make them and it's the only decision that you can make. You know, we tried to give them uh, as many benefits as we could and prolong those benefits as long as we could um, based on um, you know balancing it with our ability to um, keep resources in our bank account. We have learned over the last week that we were more prepared from um, a mental and organizational standpoint than we thought we were, but from a financial standpoint, um, we were not prepared at all. And obviously the things that we're, we're prone to down here uh, in Charleston and in Colorado are hurricanes and wildfires. And those types of things are, are covered in business interruption insurance. We never intended or foresaw or planned for anything like this. That clip came courtesy of Yahoo Finance, and it featured the voice of Aaron Siegel. Aaron is the chief operating partner and pit master with Home Team Barbecue. Home Team Barbecue is a local fixture here. They have several locations in Charleston. And what I did learn from that clip was they expanded to Colorado. And um, to hear this perspective from a local business owner and what they're dealing with, um, it's, it's really sad. I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for businesses like Home Team. Hopefully they can bounce back. Um, what I have seen, um, again, an, another, I guess, the 
pivot to a silver a silver lining. Um, a group that I'm fond of here locally that I've mentioned in previous shows, Low Country Local First, is offering a, a wide array of services, insights, webinars, a lot of information to help local businesses deal with uh, the sudden and abrupt closing um, of their businesses. So check out Low Country Local First. Um, the website is lowcountrylocalfirst.org. And they have an entire page dedicated to um, businesses rebounding from COVID-19. They have a COVID-19 resource and action center. It's a tab on their website and it's specifically for local businesses. So um, they've been extraordinarily uh, on top of it. They've been on it. Every day I see updates from Low Country Local First. So shout out to Jamie over there, my girl Lauren, CT, Jordan, everyone over at Low Country Local First. Thank you for your hard work. Head on over to their website for more information if you are an entrepreneur or a small business owner here in Charleston. I'd like to pivot now to my interview with MK from the Post and Courier. So yesterday evening, around 7-ish, I sat down with MK to talk about her reporting, um, her reporting specifically on COVID-19. Here's what she had to say. For sure. Uh, my name is Mary Catherine Wildeman. I cover health and technology for the Post and Courier's business team. Cool. And thank you. Um, I know I, I stumbled across your work as an avid reader of the Post and Courier. Uh, um, I, I am kind of embarrassed to admit that I didn't really uh, didn't really notice your work before the um, Understand SC podcast. Oh, cool. um, right. And yeah, and, and the coverage, the coverage of, uh, you know, COVID-19. Um, so it's great to see your work kind of really take center stage. Unfortunately, of course, it's due to um, unfortunate circumstances. Um, but yeah, I'd like to just hop into it so you can help listeners, um, own listeners understand what you've been seeing as a reporter on the front lines um, and what you've been hearing from our healthcare professionals. Uh, the first question I have is just how, how long have you been on the, uh, the COVID-19 beat? Well, ever since uh, the first two cases were reported in Charleston and Kershaw counties on March 6th, that was a Friday evening. Okay. So yeah. So relatively recent however you have been covering uh the health beat and and the health uh business part of this of of everything um i wanted to dive into uh some of the most important reporting i've read in the last week which is the 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 story you did on the shortage of icu beds could you go ahead and just Mm -hmm. describe that story and also read your headline for sure. So the story, the story's headline is that uh, South Carolina's supply of life-saving ventilators could be strained as coronavirus cases surge. And so for that story, I evaluated um, how many intensive care beds and um, ventilators are available in the state. And so um, ventilators are these life-saving breathing machines that a lot of people have probably heard about at this point. Um, they're typically in every ICU in the country. And now, you know, they're in even greater need just because of what happens to patients who are critically ill with um, coronavirus disease. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I know that the, the uh, I guess the availability is also impacted by, I know since 2010, our state, South Carolina has closed about four hospitals and I'm sure that contributes to that shortage. Um, what What are you hearing from healthcare professionals in terms of capacity and any fears about that uptick in numbers that uh, DHEC is projecting that 8,000 in, 8, infections by May? Yeah, that's right. And um, 
for example, I, I spoke with Roper St. Francis this morning and they said that they are expecting anywhere between one and 30% of the population to become infected. And so I think it's very much a moving target and one that they don't have a lot of experience planning for, of course, since uh, this is sort of unprecedented. And so they're not sure what's going to happen or if how well they're going to be able to respond to a possible surge in cases. But um, I would say some systems are just naturally better equipped than others. And a lot of our rural areas are going to be lacking those ICU beds and you know ventilators as well, um, just because of where they are and who they typically serve. So um, that's a big concern moving forward, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Have you um, had any conversations about the 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 recent, I guess, Medicaid restrictions, is that complicating things for folks right now? I know there's been recent news about some easing of restrictions, but have you heard anything about that? Um, as far as the uh, I mean, counseling? I, yeah, well, I saw the counseling because a, yeah. a lot of folks wanted to take advantage of some, uh, I guess, telehealth resources and, and whatnot, and some of it wasn't available, but you know, I'm just thinking that this issue is compounding some other issues in terms of available health services, but what have you heard about what's opened up? Well, I think that for sure it's going to be an issue as we go along here. Um, I'm very concerned about how people are going to pay for the care that they get at a hospital. Um, of course, every hospital has to accept emergency patients. Um, they can't turn anyone away. But then you never know what kind of bill is going to come along down the line. And there's been some reporting um, in other states already just about those astronomical bills. I think it's most likely that people with private insurance are going to struggle with those bills or without any insurance at all. Um, and that certainly exacerbates some of those issues that we see here in South Carolina, where I think it's between like 11 and 13 percent of the population doesn't have health insurance, the adult population. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty staggering, those numbers. For sure. You know what? I just hit refresh on the uh, DHEG website. And oh, my goodness. So mm -hmm. this, this morning it was what, 774 test uh, total yeah. positive. And now what is it? 925. Wow. We're approaching 1000. Oh yeah. my gosh. What does this mean for folks? What should folks do? <laughs> well, so for the for today, we know that DHEC was working through a backlog of about 1,800 samples through the weekend um, because they'd run out of the chemicals they need to process those tests. Um, so it's possible we're just seeing sort of a, a blip, like a, a higher day than, you know, would be expected otherwise. But yeah, I mean, I think that um, the number of cases is rising very quickly, and it's significant for South Carolina. I think people are right to be worried and concerned and should really heed what leadership is saying about staying home. From what I can tell, this is not a disease you want to have. Even if it's mild, it, mild can also mean, you know, mild pneumonia and that sort of thing that is right. very uncomfortable. Yeah, so. I've heard that. It was at your podcast that talked about what mild could really mean. Mm -hmm. It could be like anything from like, oh, yeah, mild flu or like just totally you're incapacitated in, in agony. Um, I guess the, the last question I want to ask is, are you hearing anything without um, revealing anything, you know, um, anything that you can't reveal in terms of sources and whatnot or any upcoming mm -hmm. stories? What, what did you want the public to kind of know or prepare for? Yeah. Yeah. I'm well, I think it's important that people understand that the protective equipment for healthcare workers in particular is really running short. 
And we've heard reports of some hospitals um, instructing their staff to reuse um, that protective equipment. Um, and that wouldn't be something they would do in normal times, but I think also maybe important to note that that doesn't necessarily mean it's unsafe. Um, I think they've developed some ways to, you know, make that safer. Um, sorry, there's a car horn. No problem. <laughs> um, but that is really the issue that is the top at the top of hospital leaders' minds right now, as far as I can tell. Um, and guess, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I just had one follow-up question. I guess, um, yeah. and some other reporting. I think I read this in the state, but you know the um, the I guess the stockpile of medical equipment that did make its way here to South Carolina. Some of it did um, include expired medical supplies. Do you, I mean is that mm-hmm. a big deal, or is that something you heard? Um, I think if I remember correctly, that, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that those products are unsafe to use. It's like a, it's like a label on a can of food that, um, the expiration date may be one thing, but it's still safe to eat that food for a specific amount of time. Yeah. That these, these products are really still safe to use. And we know that they're going to be used soon, right? Because of everything that's going on. Um, so they, I, I'm not exactly sure if that's a big concern, for hospitals if they've if they're worried about that but I know that DHEC said that we shouldn't be concerned about that if that makes sense no totally I think we've all been there I just wanted to know like sh- when folks read that should they be alarmed and, and I right think, yeah I, I applied that type of thinking already but wanted to just ask that question well um, I thank you for your time um, where can folks find out or find more of your stories or what should folks do to find your reporting so all of the reporting on postandcareer.com is free right now for anyone to read. And if you go to postandcareer.com um, slash health slash COVID-19, um, all of my reporting and all of my colleagues reporting is there for free. Thank you. And thank you um, for just for this time. Of course, I'm being redundant, but also just for your reporting. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. All it's right. Take a care. I hope it's helpful. It's very helpful. Thank you. (laughs) All right. You have a good one. Bye-bye. That concludes my update for today, March 31st, Tuesday. Um, I hope you all really got a lot from my interview with MK. Again, I'm going to work really hard to make sure I continue to invite voices like like hers to the show. Um, If you have any questions about the show, about uh, how to access this content, um, please reach out to me via email at Tamika, T-A-M-I-K-A, at charlestonactivistnetwork.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at M-I-K-A-G-A-D-S-D-E-N. That's Mika Gadsden on both Twitter and Instagram. I'd love to hear from you all. I'd love to hear feedback. I've been getting great feedback from not just my friends and family, but from folks who listen to the show. And also, um, if you're listening to the show and it's 9 a.m., this is the new spot, y'all. So um, shout out to my own uh, team for making way for me to provide these updates every day, every weekday, that is, at 9 a.m. and again at 9 p.m. So please continue to support 96.3 FM on radio here in Charleston. Uh, please make sure you head to their website and support them in any way you can. Local reporting is important. Local programming is important. And the team over at OM really work really hard uh, to bring this local content to you. So until next time, you all, please stay happy, stay healthy, stay home if you can. And to all my Gullah Geechee folk out there, y'all stay black.